This is The Guardian. Today, why thousands of students in the UK are finishing the academic year with no exams, unmarked essays and no degrees. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So it was on the 12th of July at 11 a.m., uh, at McEwen Hall, which is the really old, very famous hall here in Edinburgh. And it was supposed to be for the graduating class to celebrate our achievements and talk about our next steps. A few weeks ago, Alex Mohan Mazeria Davis, who studied Italian and French at the University of Edinburgh, went to what was billed as a graduation ceremony. Though, for most of the students in the hall, it wasn't really. But from the outside, everything looked normal. Nobody on stage was talking about the elephant in the room. As Alex, a student rep, wearing their robes and gowns, got up to address the graduating class, they carried a sash that read, Pay Your Staff. Alex Mohan Mozeria Davis. I started walking up, I think that those, whatever it would have been, 20 paces maybe, uh, felt simultaneously like the longest time of my life and no time at all. And then I took the sash out, hung it around and covered the University of Edinburgh logo. You know what it says. There was a small round of applause just for having the sash. But I then had to launch into a speech. Good afternoon, fellow graduates and students. Today, I want to extend my heartfelt congratulations to every one of you sitting in this room. This moment is a culmination in of years the month prior to the speech, I knew that I wouldn't be able to stand up there and not mention the marking boycott, especially in a ceremony where the vast majority have not actually received a degree. And a huge congratulations to everyone in this hall today. I wish you the best of luck. And that's where this should have ended. However, as I stand here with four years of work behind me, I do not hold a degree in my hand. Instead, I hold an apology letter filled with platitudes and a list of courses with the letters TBC. I wish I could have delivered the original speech without any addendum. Unfortunately, that wasn't the situation we were in. With the letters TBC instead of a mark next to them, it would not be right to stand here and not acknowledge the hard work of staff who have been fighting for no more than the bare minimum. Fair treatment and fair pay. 
Across the UK, university staff are locked in a dispute with employers over their pay and working conditions. In April, lecturers at 145 universities voted to raise the stakes to stop marking exams, essays, any assessments at all for the foreseeable future. As a result, thousands of students across the UK have finished their semesters but have no final marks and no degrees to show for it. For some, like Alex or Jess Lee, who studied international development at Sussex University, the whole farce has been an opportunity to turn their graduating ceremonies into viral protests. We wanted to do some kind of disruption. and So we came up with the idea of um, sticking the vice-chancellor's face on uh, money notes. We wanted to either hand that to her or throw it on the stage because universities are fundamentally underpaying their staff. But also, for a university class that spent so much of their degrees in COVID lockdowns, had weeks of classes cancelled for strikes, and are now finishing their degrees with no idea when they'll actually get them. It's yet another reason to wonder, what kind of future are they heading into? Lots of my friends have similar thoughts around what next, what if, and also just kind of lost a bit of faith in the higher education system. What are we meant to do? How are we meant to get into this world of work where now some jobs are asking for masters or for whatever qualifications, but we, I don't have anything to show. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, the class of 2023, the UK's unluckiest year group. Alex, you're part of the class of 2023. How would you sum up the experience of students in your year? I believe my year has had the hardest time at university in many, many years. Like, I can't think of a comparator for you. It's just been absolutely awful for so many people. The amount of influences on our university experiences are innumerable but covid is the biggest one brexit is up there and of course industrial action it has been absolutely horrendous to get to this point for every single student what does that do to students to to have such an important year of their education seemingly thrown into chaos part of me thinks that this cohort is used to chaos it almost feels well, it does feel business as usual, but I can tell you it. I feel numb to it. At the same time, though, I think, yes, this has had a huge, wide-reaching impact. The emotions that I experienced firsthand when my own exams were cancelled, I, I don't know how to describe them to you. They were confusion, despair, and then, of course, anger. I mean, from your perspective... What does it feel like to be going out into the job market in this situation? I can tell you that I'm not currently going out into the job market because I don't know what I can tell them. I'm lucky to have a job that will pay the bills for now, but I can't start pursuing anything that requires a degree. And indeed, I've already lost out on a graduate scheme uh, very much linked to the fact that I don't have a degree. As well as being so disrupted, your degree is also much more expensive than those taken by previous generations. Do you feel like 
it was all worth it. I logged into my student loan balance um, a couple weeks ago. And the number there is 92,800 and something. And if you are asking me if I think I've got 92,800 something of value from this degree, um, well, I don't have a degree. So as far as I'm concerned, I've got maybe a tenner's worth. Anna Fazakali, you're a journalist who writes about education for The Observer. How did we get to this point where students are finishing courses, sometimes without getting the chance to take final exams or or getting their work marked, and ending up with these bizarre certificates of completion instead of degrees? Well, many people will be unaware, but there's actually been a really bitter dispute over pay and working conditions happening at universities across the UK for about five years. It's been bubbling along with um, lecturers striking and occasionally refusing to mark things. But this is probably the first time that it has really become unavoidable and parents are starting to notice and students are starting to notice because as of April, lecturers who belong to the universities and colleges union have voted to refuse to mark assessed work which means that lots of students don't have enough marks to properly graduate. And universities have have tried very hard to mitigate that. A lot of them are saying, hey, you can still graduate. But the students who are affected are saying that this really doesn't feel like a proper graduation. Sometimes they're described as celebration assemblies or celebration ceremonies or similar The point is that you come out at the end without an actual degree grade, um, which makes it pretty hard to apply for a job. And just um, a lot of students say feels like a farce. What is the situation for university staff and lecturers? What are they so unhappy about? Well, they're unhappy about pay. And in that respect, they are similar to a lot of public sector professions. They want yeah. a pay deal that's linked to inflation. But actually, the lecturers that I talk to quite often, what they're more angry about is um, just the insecurity of working in academia. So a lot of them, particularly younger staff, will have lurched from precarious job to precarious job. I spoke to a lecturer recently at Goldsmiths who she'd had 19 temporary contracts, short-term contracts in nine years at three universities. Wow. I spoke to a lecturer a while ago who was doing a PhD. Quite a lot of teaching is done by young researchers who are busy doing their PhDs at the same time uh, because they're cheap. And she was actually living in a tent. She was teaching at a research-intensive university but she didn't earn enough money on her zero hours teaching contract to pay for rent. She didn't want to give up her job. That's incredible. Yeah. Living in a tent. Living in a tent. And she did it for many months. She didn't tell anybody and she felt very ashamed about it, but she so badly wanted to work in academia that she felt it was worth doing to try to get a foot on the career ladder. And do we have any sense of how much money lecturers and university staff are actually earning? Well, on paper, it might not sound um, all that bad. The Higher Education Statistics Agency says that 57% 
full-time academic staff are actually earning nearly 47,000 a year mm, or okay. higher. But you have to remember that that doesn't include a lot of particularly younger staff who will be um, juggling zero hours contracts and also staff who might have um, a salary around that mark but who don't know if they're going to have a job next year and who are lurching from those sort of one short-term contract to another and trying to manage kids and mortgages and, and rent on that sort of insecurity. So that's how we end up in this situation where so many students are graduating without degrees. Do we know how many students are actually affected by this strike? In short, we don't. The number is is disputed. Um, universities, when you speak to individual universities, they're very quick to stress that it's an absolute minority of students who are affected. Um, and the employer's body has given a figure of around 13,000 students. UCU is wildly differs on this and says that actually about half a million graduates or would-be graduates will be affected. I think probably the figure is somewhere between those two. Between 13,000 and half a million. Yeah, I mean, could be anywhere. But for example, Cambridge University, they've said that students can't graduate until all their work has been marked. And they've said that most of the 4,500 students due to graduate will probably be affected. Durham has said about 20% of students will face delays and probably graduate without their final degree results, um, at least initially. Mm, I mean, at the very least, we're talking about several thousand students here. What does this situation mean for them, for, for their future, for their jobs? Well, I think just on a personal level, these students are, some people are describing as them as the unluckiest student cohort ever. Mm. And for those affected, and obviously bearing in mind that not all students are affected, but those who aren't properly graduating this summer, I think feel incredibly aggrieved. So these are the students, COVID happened while they were in the sixth form. They didn't have a normal sixth form. Their prom was cancelled. Then their A-levels were cancelled. And then they arrived at Freshers' Week. Freshers' Week was mostly online. Some universities ended up even locking students into halls because they were so terrified of COVID outbreaks. And then all the way through their university degrees, most of them have um, have suffered the effects of, of strike action, which has been ongoing. So they have had a really, really tough time um, in all of their sort of significant parts of senior education. And they feel really hard done by. Will their papers be marked eventually? Like, will they receive degrees anytime soon? There's vague information coming out of some universities, and that's one of the things that is frustrating students. They want a bit more clarity. Students at some places are being told that they won't graduate until the spring of 2024, which feels like a very long time away. Other universities are saying they'll have it sorted much sooner. Vice-chancellors, to their credit, are trying extremely hard to sort this out. They see this as an utter disaster. And they are cracking down on university lecturers. As a result, they're being really quite brutal in the way that they're dealing with this, uh, deducting full pay or half pay in, in some cases, even though this is action short of a strike and they're still doing other things. I mean, in a way, that sounds like that approach only exacerbates the problem, the reason for the strike to begin with. That is the trouble. And vice-chancellors that I've spoken to privately say, 
Yes, yes, of course, we understand that we are throwing petrol on the flames by doing this. If you, you know, staff are very angry. They say that they're exhausted, they're broken, they can't pay their bills. And so if you do something that's going to make their situation worse, they're much less likely to back down. But one Russell Group vice chancellor who I spoke to said to me, well, listen, Anna, what am I supposed to do? I can't say to parents, yes, staff aren't marking your kids' work. And as a result, she won't be able to graduate, but I'm not doing anything about it at all. Hmm. So he said, they are hitting us where it hurts. They know that targeting graduations is the very worst thing that they can do to us. And that's a targeted thing to do. And we have to react. This is obviously bad news for British students, but what do these delays mean for international students, people who have come from abroad to study in the UK? Well, there are issues around visas. So if you're not graduating properly, what does that mean for your visa? The Home Office has been reassuring people in the DfE that this will be sorted out, but visas are obviously a thing of anxiety for a lot of people and for employers as well. So, you know, I think companies and students are are feeling their way and it must be a very, very worrying time. It's also not terribly good for the reputation of of UK higher education, I think, if people are coming over here and failing to graduate. David Papelka, you grew up in Czechia, formerly the Czech Republic. What is it that drew you to the UK as a place to study? Mostly because the universities are just better quality than in my country. And uh, yeah, the professors are just different. So they, they you, you usually make really good research and they are known worldwide. And I found out that the University of York has a really good English department and I wanted to study literature and I got a scholarship. So it was all going well. So I decided to, to try it. Yeah. And so what has the experience of being a student over the past three or four years actually been like? I really enjoyed everything that I've learned, everything that I've done. But there's, there have been so many disruptions. So in the first year we had COVID and we had pre-recorded lectures from previous years. Sometimes we had like newly recorded lectures. So it was a bit isolated. It's just not what I expected, but I also understood the situation. But in the second year, we had strikes again. So I lost a lot of lessons and contact hours with professors. And in the third year, we had strikes as well. And in the end, I didn't even get my degree. (laughs) But I would still, I actually got a question from someone asking me whether I would do it again. And I think I would, yes. And then as you got closer and closer to the deadline, I mean, the time when classes finished and it became clearer that that actually you may not graduate with a degree anytime soon. Like, how did you feel about that? I was scared. I, I was scared that I, I would not be able to continue studying or I did not know what would happen because I think it never happened before that people would just not get their degree unless they were doing very poorly. And, um, I was just scared. Yeah, I think I was just scared, confused what will happen, about what would happen. Hmm. What's it like to do your final exams and essays? These things that are meant to be so high pressure, like the culmination of years of study, knowing that the work might just sit on someone's desk, never looked at for months and months. 
uh, yeah, it, it was. It, I just felt a bit empty. I just felt like I'm writing it for myself for a long time. And then when the university said it might be marked by external markers, I was a bit worried, like, but who would actually read my work? If not the professor I discussed my dissertation with, for example. So I was just filled with anxiety and, and yeah, it felt like I'm doing it just for myself. And, and so what does it mean for you now for the next steps in your career? Yeah, so I, I, I focus a lot on LGBT literatures for young adults and uh, my country is not very progressive when it comes to queer studies or LGBT studies. And uh, that is why like the organizations from my country are funding my studies because there's, that's something I can't do in my country, but I'm good at it. Uh, so I want to study sex, gender and culture at the University of Manchester. And I was accepted and everything was going well. And I got my scholarship and I found that I didn't get my marks. I, I was suddenly really scared. What if I won't be able to like start my studies just because I won't get my degree? It was, it was just really... It was really um, frustrating, but then uh, the head of department reassured me that they would do everything so I could start studying, that they would never want to like, uh, like uh, somehow um, change my plans or, the, or like destroy my plans. Do you think if you had gone back to yourself three or four years ago and, and said, this is the situation that you'd end in, would you believe it? No, it's like outside of the UK, we, we do, we like have these English textbooks and, and, where, and we learn English from them <laughs> and they just look and it just looks sort of like a utopia from outside, like that everything works and everything is great. And then I come to the UK and I can't use the train because there are strikes and <laughs> in shops, I can't buy vegetables <laughs> sometimes. And so, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's been an experience, but I still... I would, I would still do it again. Coming up, with universities paralysed by industrial action, the government launches a war on so-called rip-off degrees. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot... We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today in Focus is supported by... Better help. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online 
and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. As this marketing and assessment boycott has been playing out, the government last week announced it was cracking down on what it calls rip-off degrees. What does it mean by that? What the government means by rip-off degrees is degrees that don't deliver good outcomes. And by that, they mean degrees that aren't going to result in a good salary um, or degrees where students, uh, higher numbers of students are dropping out. Did it say which degrees it considers to to fall into this category, to be rip-off degrees? It's been quite careful not to do that, partly because that is such a controversial thing to do. The idea that the government should decide which subjects are great and which subjects are dodgy. So they haven't done that. But we can tell which sorts of subjects are more likely to be affected. So, for example, art subjects, despite the fact that we have an absolutely thriving creative arts economy that the UK really relies on, most arts graduates will know that they're pretty likely to freelance, they're pretty likely to have low salary outcomes for a while, and a lot of them simply don't care. They're doing something that they love. So the point of these degrees is not to immediately get a professional job afterwards, and that looks bad in the data, but that may not be the point of getting the degree in the first place. Exactly. And I think what we need to understand here is that actually this policy isn't necessarily about what it says it is about. So I don't think that the point of this is really that the government is terrified that there are awful low-quality degrees out there. I think that this is about trying to limit the number of students at university. Hmm. Why would they want to do that? Well, the loan book, the student loan book, is currently at about 200 billion. So that is quite a terrifying number for politicians. Hmm. How much the government gets back from student loans each year goes up and down, but Currently, they get roughly half of the the money that they lend out each year back when people have finished making their repayments over their lifetime because it's income dependent. There used to be a cap on student numbers, but that was removed in 2015. And as a result, the Treasury has this terrifying situation where if demand for education continues to grow, where on earth does this debt end? Is this just going to get bigger and bigger? But the problem for politicians is that when parents aspire for their kids to go to university, as many, many parents do, and when kids have been working their socks off at school in order to do just that, saying, actually, we're going to cut university places is politically toxic. So I think that this policy, and a lot of experts agree, is actually just a backdoor way of doing just that, constraining numbers without appearing to do so. 
Mm, and by framing it as cleaning up the sector by getting rid of, of these dodgy rip-off degrees. Exactly. So what does this mean for students who do want to study art, drama, these things that the government may not consider to be, you know, genuine things worthy of study at university? Well, we don't yet know exactly how this policy will will pan out because a, there is a distinct lack of, of detail at the moment. But what we can be pretty certain of is that this is its poorest students who will be hit the hardest. This is really the old sort of Tory Mickey Mouse degree bashing. There's, it's been a sort of staple Tory narrative for many years. It always interests me that the politicians and right-wing columnists saying that university is a waste of time have invariably been to university themselves and really benefited from the experience. And they also know that their kids and all of their friends' kids will go to university. And what they're advocating without saying so explicitly is pulling up the drawbridge for many of the kids of people from less advantaged backgrounds who so the narrative goes, should be focusing on other more realistic alternatives like doing an apprenticeship and being a plumber. I mean, all of this suggests that the UK's university sector, which rightly boasts about being a world-leading industry, is actually not in very good health. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What's the financial situation that it finds itself in? Well, you're right that the UK higher education sector is is world leading. And I don't think we're at a point where we have ceased to be world leading. We've still got a lot of, of very good universities. But there are a lot of universities who are in trouble. So going back to the pay dispute, one of the reasons that um, universities are not backing down is that there's collective bargaining. And they say that some universities will be close to falling over if they increase pay. They're just about holding things together. A part of that is that tuition fees have have been frozen at £9,250 a year. And because of um, the rapidly increasing inflation, that means they're now worth about £6,000. So a lot of universities are saying that they're teaching UK students at a loss and um, that's really impacting on their finances. So there are about 27 universities at the moment who are in deficit and about the same number who are pretty close to deficit. So whilst the Russell Group universities might be wealthier, there are a lot of universities who are really struggling. You talked about the impact of inflation and the fact that student fees have been frozen, but is there anything else that has changed, that's helped to put universities in such a bad financial position? Brexit hit universities very hard. Mm. Uh, It was extremely hard to find a single academic who supported it, but obviously it happened. And it has wiped out a lot of the European student market as universities knew that it would. There are still international students to rely on, but that has had a big impact. And so what does this financial squeeze that you're telling us about mean for the future of universities in the UK? Well, I think that we're at a very difficult point because universities need the government to act to sort out their finances. And I don't think that the government is likely with an election looming to do anything at Hmm. all. So top-up fees are one of the most politically 
toxic issues that you can introduce. No political party really wants to get into talking about them. So I can't imagine that they are going to decide to try to wrestle with this problem in the next year or or 18 months. It just doesn't feel likely. And in that case, can we envisage that this ongoing pay dispute will will be sorted? You've got angry lecturers, you've got broke universities. You know, how is that impasse going to be ironed out? I'm not sure. Um, It feels like a very rocky time ahead. Anna, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Anna Fazakali, a journalist who covers education for The Observer, and you can find her work at theguardian.com. Thanks also to Alex Mohan, Mazaria Davis, Jess Lee, and David Popelka. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Lucy Hoff with help from Kunal Patel and Morgan Eyre. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Elizabeth Casson. Thank you for bearing with my voice, and we'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.